0: The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you have your Bibles this morning, would you join me in Mark chapter 2? Mark chapter 2. Look together at verses 18 through 22 together. We've got a lot of work to do this morning, so we're going to be moving pretty quickly. We have seen as Jesus has come and has began his ministry, his earthly ministry, and this ministry has been disrupting. It has disrupted communities, it has disrupted towns, and he is disrupting the religious systems of the Jews in that day. Just to remind you of the things that Jesus has done that are disrupting. He has touched a leper. He's touched a leper and the leper's been made clean and Jesus has not been made unclean. Jesus has claimed to be able to forgive sins as he speaks to a paralytic on a mat in his home. And then Jesus has demonstrated not only his ability to forgive sins, but his willingness to do so in the calling of Levi, a tax collector, and then a feast at Levi's house with the other tax collectors and sinners. And in every one of these instances, the Pharisees, the, the rulers of The the Jews in their day, the religious leaders, they are scandalized and they are left baffled. Who is this man? And what has he claimed to do? And why is he not doing it the way that we expected him to? These questions lie at the heart of this question that Jesus is asked in these verses. And Jesus lets them in on what is going on with his ministry. That he did not come just to be one more added to the system. But he came to bring about a whole new system. And it's a system of joy. Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees we fasting. People came to him. Why did the, John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast? But your disciples do not fast. All of the synoptic gospels place this exchange in the same place. Immediately following Jesus' feast. Maybe even during Jesus' feast. At Matthew's house. And you see these circumstances here. There are disciples of John the Baptist. And there are disciples of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees. Who were fasting. And they come to Jesus. They come to Jesus' disciples and they say. Why is it that, that we're fasting? the disciples of John, the disciples of the Pharisees, of the Pharisees, why is it that we're fasting meanwhile you're feasting with these tax collectors and these sinners? Now, to understand what is behind this question, we have to understand some of the background about fasting and the Pharisees. Fasting in the old, uh, really has its origins in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, there is only one mandated fast. And it happened only one day a year. And that was on the day of atonement. Leviticus 16, starting in verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month... On the 10th day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. Now, ESV translates that afflict yourselves. And we read that and we sort of think self-harm. But what it means is to fast to deprive yourself of food, to afflict yourself. This is the only mandated fast in the Old Testament. It comes on the day of atonement. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you. And you shall afflict yourselves or you shall fast. It is a statute forever. So on the day of atonement, when sacrifices would be made for God's people, for the forgiveness of sins, God's people were to fast. This is a fasting of lament. This is a fasting of brokenness over their sins before a holy God as The priests go into the presence of the Lord to make sacrifices. You're to consecrate yourself before the Lord and to to deprive yourself of food and to fast a lament, a sadness, a brokenness over your sins. This is the only mandated fast in the Old Testament. Now, there were other non mandatory fasts in the Old Testament. These, being non-mandatory, were voluntary. These are not things that you must do or you had to do, but at different times they were applicable. And that would be for things associated with your grief or your sorrow over your sin or a sincere pursuit of communion with God. So within the Old Testament, one day a year, a mandatory fast. Other fasts that that you would do just personally as you were led voluntarily for different reasons. But by the time of Jesus... The scribes and the Pharisees had done what they were good at and they had added to the law of God. And they had added their own superficial religious structure. And that included mandatory fastings, not one day a year, not even one day a week, but two days a week you were to fast on the second day and on the fifth day of the week. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they had taken it from one fast a year to two fasts every week. And we know that they had even messed the fasting up And that they had begun to fast for prideful and selfish reasons. Jesus tells us this in Matthew 6 and verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret and your Father who is in secret Will reward you. Not only were the Pharisees depriving themselves of food, but they seemed to be depriving themselves of hygiene and brushing their hair so that people could see just what sort of disheveled state they were in and their superficial devotion to God. This is what the Pharisees had done two days a week fast. Probably, most likely. Jesus is in the home of Levi with tax collectors and sinners, and they are having a feast, and it is on one of those days. See, in the Jewish system, there were three acts of devotion. If you were really devoted to God, there were three ways that you could show it. The first was through prayer. And so they would stand and they would offer beautiful, eloquent prayers for everybody to see and to hear how devoted they were to God. The second was the giving of alms to the poor. And so they would give in a way that everyone would notice. And then the third was fasting. Fasting. So what I'm I'm hoping you are seeing here is the place of fasting within this religious system that the Pharisees had built. It's also important to know a a little about the Pharisees. Because I... while they are the antagonists in Jesus' ministry, they are not altogether bad people and terrible people. They were, um, have very devoted to what they thought was God's law. But these were people who, who on at least some level, tried to do right. They had just missed the heart of it. Jesus says, your, your, your empty tombs. They had elevated their tradition over the law. And for them, true religion, as they understood it, was a solemn, joyless affair. It sounds a lot like people's opinions of religion and Christianity today especially Baptists, that it's a solemn, joyless affair. And so you can imagine, as they're fasting, doing what they think is right, and they're watching Jesus and his disciples feasting, they come to him and they say, why are you and your disciples, why are y'all not fasting like we're fasting? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. And so Jesus answers their question about why they're not fasting with this, this illustration and it's one that has to do with a bridegroom and a, and a wedding feast and what takes place during this wedding. You see, after an ancient Jewish wedding, the couple would not honeymoon. So here you, you get married. The normal practice is you get married and then you, you go away for a week on a, on a honeymoon. But for them, they stayed home for a week. And they had an open house the whole week during which there was continual feasting and celebration. And it was for the hardworking Jew that this week, the week of their wedding, their wedding feast and the celebration that would take place for the whole week, this was considered to be the most joyous week of their life. And during this week, the bride and the groom would be treated like kings and queens. They were attended by their chosen friends who were known as guests of the bridegroom. There was even a rabbinical ruling that stated that all in attendance on the bridegroom are relieved of all religious observances which would lessen their joy right so you're you're to fast two days a week unless you're you're in the presence of the bridegroom unless it's this it's this wedding feast for your friend or your family and you're there celebrating them if that's the case then there is no fasting there's only feasting there's there's fullness of joy in this Week. And this is the illustration that Jesus uses. Can a wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? And they would have known the answer to that question. Absolutely not. That's the most joyful week, the most celebratory week that you can be a part of. And it would be absurd to think that you'd go to this wedding feast and you fast. And so, what Jesus does in this illustration is he likens himself to the bridegroom. And he does it both for illustrative purposes to make them see and understand the the feasting and the celebration and the joy that comes from his presence. But he also does it for messianic purposes. Because these who heard this, these disciples of John, these disciples of the Pharisees, they would have been well um, read, well steeped in the Old Testament and they would have understood. And as they would have heard this, they would have thought of passages of scripture like Isaiah chapter 62. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give you. You shall be a crown of beauty in the head of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken and your land shall no more be termed desolate but you shall be called my delight is in her and your land married. You see the this juxtaposition that this messianic prophecy is saying. When the, when the Messiah comes, when the Savior comes, you will be restored. He will restore you and you will go from being desolate to being my delight and it will be my delight is in Her And your land will be married. It's this messianic prophecy that when the Messiah comes, it will be as if there is a marriage between God and his people. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride... So shall your God rejoice over you. He will rejoice over you as a bride. And here's Jesus saying, this this bridegroom that's come to restore Israel, this bridegroom that's come to bring fullness of joy and celebration and the realization of the kingdom of God. This groom who's been promised to come, I'm Him. I'm the bridegroom. I've come in fullness of joy. I am the salvation. You see it in Isaiah 2, 19 and 20. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice in steadfast love and in mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. There's much Old Testament imagery of God being the bridegroom and God's people bringing the bride. And so they come to Jesus' disciples and they say, why are you not fasting? Jesus says, how can they fast in the presence of the bridegroom? So they would have understood that through cultural tradition. They would have also understood that through Old Testament teaching. That there is no reason for fasting now because I am with you, Jesus says. And then he says in verse 20, look, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast in that day. I'm not always going to be with you. I'm going to leave you. And when I leave you, then is the time to fast. But for now, I'm with you. There's no reason to fast. So here's what Jesus is saying. I am with you. There is fullness of joy and celebration. No need, no reason to fast. I will leave you. And Jesus did leave us. He left this earth Crucified, buried, risen again to new life, and ascended at the right hand of God. And now there is reason to fast. So, what Jesus is not saying is that we should never fast. Jesus gives instructions on fasting. The New Testament gives instructions on fasting. And that fasting comes as we now live in the in between between the bridegroom who has come and the bridegroom who is coming. And when Jesus comes again, guess what comes with him? Fullness of joy. And guess what will not happen? No more fasting. What will take place? Feasting. When Jesus comes again. That day is coming. We are in the days of fasting. Come Lord Jesus. So we can feast again. And so then Jesus... Uses two parables to make his point that what he is doing does not fit with their old dead religion. See, what the Pharisees are doing is they're trying to bring in this old dead religious tradition. And that is inadequate. It is not enough. And Jesus is doing something totally new. And so he gives these two parables, and the first one is of a, of a patch. He says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The old from... Are the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. Now, hopefully, you understand this um, illustration. If you have a, an old garment, if you have an old pair of of jeans that have a hole in them, and you've you have worn them, and you have washed them, and you have dried them, and they they the the fabrics have shrunk. And they're done shrinking. They can't shriek, shrink anymore. And you patch a hole with a piece of cloth that's never been washed and dried. That's never shrunk. And you put that patch over it. And then that new fabric shrinks. But the old fabric doesn't. What happens is it, it tears away from the old And the whole is made bigger. This is Jesus' parable. Now as with Jesus' parables, different pieces of the parable are illustrated of different things. And the old garment here is this traditional, ceremonial, legalistic, dead religion. It's the dead religion of the Pharisees. Now, there's nothing inherently wrong with tradition. I would say there's a lot of good that goes along with tradition. But traditionalism is not good. When we worship the tradition over God, that's not good. When we're slaves to the tradition instead of slaves to righteousness, that's Not good. And so this old garment is this traditional, ceremonial, legalistic, dead religion. That for the Pharisees is a religion of work. That you must earn God's forgiveness. You must earn God's reward. And you do it by keeping all of these laws. One of which is fasting. And for them, fasting two days a week. Jesus says, listen, this new cloth, this is me. This is me. This is my kingdom. This is the gospel of grace, not a dead religion of works. And these two things, they cannot go together. You cannot just Put me in the old. Because what I am doing is something new all together. What Jesus is saying is, you need a whole new garment. Now, I want to make something really clear here. And we don't have time to get into it as much as I would like to, but I just want to make sure you you understand what I'm saying. What I am not saying is that the Old Testament does not matter and that Jesus is doing away with it. And that is not what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying, and he has said, is that he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. That all that took place in the Old Testament had to do with him. All of it was pointing to him. All of it was precursors for what was happening in him. And he's not saying, and I'm not saying, that he has come to do away totally with the old and to bring in something new. What Jesus has come to do is to bring to fulfillment the old. What he has come to to do away with is the old way that the Pharisees were doing it because they had taken what God instituted to point towards Jesus and they had made it something that points towards themselves. And what Jesus is saying is, that's incompatible with me. It doesn't work with me. You can't just add me to what you've got going and expect it to work out. Because Jesus, listen, Jesus is not an add-on. He's not an add-on. He's not just a patch to fill you in your holes in your life. The gospel of grace is incompatible with legalism and a religion of works. Now, we today are, are not bound in this religious system that the, the Pharisees were. And so it's easy for us to sit back and say, man, you guys had made all these crazy laws and all these things that you could not do. And, and we, we don't live like that. But we do exactly what Jesus says does not work. And that is, we have a garment patch Jesus. And we have a little hole... That we need field and we think, let's give it a little bit of Jesus, right? I, you know, I really need more purpose in my life. Here, take a little of Jesus and he can give you some purpose. Or man, I really don't like the person that I am. Well, here, have a little Jesus and he'll make you different. Or man, I have a really bad marriage and I need some help. Well, here, take a little Jesus and he'll make your marriage better. Or I don't like who I am. Here, here's a little Jesus. I wish I wasn't this kind of person. Here, here's a little Jesus. This does not work. Because he says he isn't the patch for your life. What Jesus says must happen is that you must fully take off the old person and its garment and put on a whole new person. This is Colossians 3, starting in verse 1. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek things that are above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. Not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears. Then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires and covetousness. Which is idolatry. On account of these the wrath of God is Here there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian. Scythian. Slave. Free. But Christ is all. And in all. You see what Paul is is saying here. He's saying the gospel. Jesus. He doesn't work just to fill these holes. Because... You can't fill them all. The gospel works to enable you, to empower you, to fully take off the old dead garments and to put on a new one. Jesus is a whole new life. He's a whole new life. He's not just a piece of your old one. let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. See, patchwork Jesus isn't the gospel. New creation, Jesus, is the gospel. Patchwork, Jesus, doesn't work. It just makes things worse. But a new garment of righteousness is what you need. Ephesians 4:17 through 24. Now this I say and testify to the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is within them due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to do what? To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And to be renewed in the spirits of your mind and to put on a new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the gospel. Your old self, your old ways of living, they are against God. They're against Him. They're rebellion to Him. Your old way of living was dark, sinful. You were calloused. Your hearts were... And there's not a thing that you can do. You don't just need a patch to fix things. You need a whole new garment. You need a whole new life. You need to put on righteousness. And that righteousness comes by faith in Jesus Christ. He's not a patch. Then Jesus uses the parable of wineskins. In verse 22... And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. The practice in their days was for wine to be put into what was usually a goat's skin. And at the risk of being grotesque, but the kids might enjoy it, they would skin a goat being careful not to puncture the skin more than could be repaired, but they would skin a goat whole and turn it inside out and so close the legs and leave the neck opening open and pour the wine in and let that be the spout. People say boxed wine is bad. (laughs) What would happen is, as the wine, the new wine ferments, as it gets old and gets better, it releases gases. And what happens is, the, the wine skins, because they're new, they're still supple and they stretch. And it can take the, this fermentation process. And people knew, nobody puts new wine in wine skins that are no longer flexible. Because the wine's going to ferment, it's going to release these gases. and when they do, if you put them in these old, calloused, hard wineskins, then they're, they're going to burst open. And the wine skin's no good, and the wine is no good now. And this is a parable that Jesus uses. New wine is for new wineskins. What Jesus is doing here is something new. It's a new covenant. And the old, calcified, dead, legalistic, false religion cannot hold it. They do not go together. For the Pharisee, it was a religion of works. But what Jesus is saying is that the gospel of grace cannot be compatible with a system of works. Romans eleven six. 6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. And if you think all you've got to do is add some Jesus in your life without getting a whole new body, without being a whole new creation, it's not going to work. He's not just one more piece to the puzzle. He's not just one more thing to add in to try to make things better or to try to make things easier. He is everything. And so now let's put all of this together over the last few weeks. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. The heavens opened, and God speaks, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the Holy Spirit descends upon him as in the presence of a dove. He's then led by the Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days. And he withstands the temptations of the evil one. Then he comes and he begins to teach the Word of God, because he is the Word of God, and the people are astounded. This man teaches like someone who has authority. And then he begins to show this authority. To exercise this authority. And they sit and they see him healing people with just his touch or with just his word. And then they hear this absolutely ludicrous claim that he is able to forgive sins. And then he backs up that claim by miraculous healing. And then he does the Unthinkable he befriends a tax collector and he eats with them. And these Pharisees and the disciples of these Pharisees, they see all this going on and they cannot understand it because they're trying to fit him in to their old way of doing things. But Jesus is bringing in a whole new covenant. Not a covenant of works, but a covenant of grace. And it's one that produces a whole new life. Not just a patch on your old one. Not just a a filling of your old way of doing things. A whole new life. And with this new life through the gospel comes fullness of joy and celebration because now you're a part of the bride. And when the bridegroom comes, you'll be united to him. Jesus is no add-on. He is no supplement. He demands our whole affections and a new and a different way of doing things that come from the righteousness that only comes through. Him, your works will not do it. They didn't do it from the Pharisees. they will not do it for you. We need Jesus. Father, would you help us see that what you are doing in your son is a whole new thing, a new way of living, a new life of righteousness incompatible with our old way of living. God, would you help us see that you don't exist just to fill these holes in our lives and to try to make things a little better that you exist to make us new, new creations created in the likeness of the creator created in righteousness and in holiness through faith in the gospel. Father, would you remind us of that every day? God, may that be the message that we faithfully proclaim to the nations. Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit christcentralchurch.net.